0: calling tech support. My name is Todd. How can I help you today?
1: Yeah, hey, uh, I'm just trying to get audio working for this podcast I record. And um, no matter what I do, whenever I turn on your product, uh, my audio subsystem dies. I've checked all of my physical connections, uh, my software configurations, updated my OS. I updated your software, Uh, and I rebooted, like, twice.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Yes, I definitely hear you there. That's a really unfortunate occurrence with your other software. Um, and, uh, just so I can best direct your call, I'd like to ask you some questions. Okay, so let me just, uh... One moment, please. Okay. Uh, uh, okay, thank you for staying with me. Uh, have sure. you tried restarting the software?
1: Uh, yeah, no, like I, I turned everything off. Uh, I rebooted the computer twice, but okay. checked um, and installed. I hear you there. Up. Dates
0: Did you everything. restart the software?
1: <laughs> well, yeah. I, that sort of happens automatically when you reboot the okay. computer.
0: Uh, okay, thank you for that. I'll just put down that you aren't sure. What? Uh, I, okay, so I one more question. Have you checked that your microphone is plugged in all the way? Yeah
1: yeah like i mentioned when i first got on with you i I checked all my hardware uh it was like this just works all the time i've done a bunch of recordings this way the system is fine and functional and everything works up until i fire up your software then everything fails like no audio output uh, from any application are you listening? So to me?
0: you're using other software at the same time as our software. Yes. Have you tried turning that software off?
1: <laughs> what? No, I, I need that. I need to run that software to record the audio locally while using okay, your software so to record the
0: remote call. I try that. Um, try, try turning off that other software I, w- so that our software
1: no can. what no look i just told you i need it it works it has worked i've i've done a lot of episodes this way i've done a lot of recording this way and it's always been fine Sir, there, this problem there's
0: no reason to get upset with me i'm only trying to help you
2: Mouse podcast it's about
1: birds hey friends Scott here, I and the foul Mouse crew are very happy to drop episode 15 for you, an interview with Heidi Trudell. Heidi was a real trooper, a uh, super trooper, you might say, for hanging out basically all Saturday afternoon while I did troubleshooting on an audio system that shit the bed right before the interview was scheduled to take place. So we did a back and forth half phone half text, What the hell is happening? Can you hear us? We can't hear you thing for like a solid hour before switching computers entirely, installing some requisite software, and finally getting the interview done, albeit in a state of extreme discombobulation with the heating system occasionally interrupting and James trying to eat the babysitter, who we kept an hour and a half longer than she was scheduled for. Thank you, Ruby. You were absolutely amazing Saturday, and we couldn't have done it without you. And... We couldn't have done it without our guest, uh, Heidi Trudell. Heidi, whose last name does not rhyme with strudel, has been a researcher and consultant on the topic of window collisions and prevention since the year of our Lord, 2003. She is a native Texan with a field biology background with an emphasis on Atwater's prairie chickens and Aplomato falcons. She's also worked at zoos, libraries, and tech startups in addition to her consulting. For the past five years, Heidi has been freezing her ass off in Michigan, stirring up shit with the local safe passage programs, and stashing the corpses of snowy owls under the frozen waffles in her freezer. It's a great interview. We hope you enjoy it.
3: Hi. Sorry, um, Tippy just crashed my party.
1: <laughs> Is Tippy one of your orchids?
3: No, no, she's uh, my boyfriend's mom's Boston Terrier. Oh, hi, Tippi.
1: Oh, hey, Tippy.
4: Doggo.
2: Dogs. So
4: okay. great. Okay.
2: We've got things
3: sorted on year end, and we're gonna have random farting noises online. That's awesome.
2: <laughs> we okay. love it. Anything yeah. to add to the uh, the the value of what we're doing?
4: The ambiance. <laughs> That's <Okay. is> beautiful. <laughs> All right, we can do this.
2: Okay. Come on, everybody.
1: Let's let's put our hands in, metaphorically speaking, and and just do a one two three team. Okay. One All two right. three team. Team. Great. Team. <laughs> <laughs>
2: sports The latency really <laughs> ruined that one but we can fix that in editing. Um, so I guess before we get into all the dead stuff, the morbid talk and all of that, tell us about you, Heidi what is your uh, your background? what do you do besides um, save birds, things like that? <laughs>
3: So uh, I, too, appreciate live birds, which <laughs> is why I'm a little bit bummed at this point. Um, I was doing a Q&A session with a high school group from South Korea, and they were like, what did you want to do when you grew up? And I was like, not this, <laughs> anything but <laughs> this. Uh, eight-year-old me would be really bummed, actually, um, but no, my, my background is... Birds. Uh, so live birds, dead birds, injured birds, baby birds, threatened birds, endangered birds, captive birds, um, bird behavior. Like, yeah, it's, it's pretty heavily bird centric. Um, pretty birdy. I've, I've worked in libraries and at tech startups and at a couple zoos and, um, I would say that professionally I'm a generalist, uh, but clearly since the age of at least seven, um, I've been really hung up on birds. Uh, the wild stuff, like actual bird watching, didn't kick in until I was in high school. Uh, so I feel like a late bloomer in that regard. <laughs> but <laughs> turns out a lot of people don't start, till birding, start birding until after that. Um, so then I just feel really old, even though half the time. <laughs> damned if you do (laughs) yeah yeah basically
1: so what was um what was birding like you say you you sort of got started in in your teens um how did you get how did you get sort of pulled into it and what was the what was the birding practice that you that you first sort of fell into
3: it was a little bit abnormal in that um I, I don't really have a spark bird um, the first road-killed bird that I found was an indigo bunting when I was seven, and so that obviously opened my eyes in a lot of ways. Um, but I was really more into pet birds, domestic things, um, and monk parakeets are actually what got me into the wild bird side of it. Because so I, I grew up in a very southern, very religious, very old school family. And my dad was always talking about the osprey nests along the highway. And in Houston, like, yeah, there are ospreys, but my God, not on every single phone pole. And the nests were on every single phone pole. Um, So one day when my dad was not in the car, I asked my mom to pull over so we could just stare at the nests for a while to see, like, if there are ospreys. And they were monk parakeets. Hmm. Um, Gigantic twig piles that Mm. they build. And uh, turns out challenging authority is not a very popular <laughs> decision. Um, so, my dad and I were on very tenuous terms for a really long time. But, you know, we patched it up before he, he finally kicked it. Um, but th- that being said, like monk parakeets got me into pretty much everything else as far as outside mm. birding goes.
1: There's no excuse for mis a bird. And uh, if you can't tell an osprey nest from a monk parakeet colony, there's just, you, you did the right thing. That, that's what I'm trying to say. Okay. And I appreciate you sort of reaching out to make that work. Um, but we're, we're with you, obviously. Um, and funny story. So, um, obviously monk parakeets, um, not native to the Northeast. Uh, however, we do have a, a pretty um, nice little population going here in, yeah, we do. in New Haven. Um, that uh, I don't, I don't know if this is apocryphal. No, I, um, I, I, but there's apparently like a truck full of monk mangaregates destined for some pet store somewhere. Like drove off of I ninety five in the nineteen eighties, and they all <laughs> flew out and just hung around, and. It, and they do fine here, which is astonishing given how sort of brutally cold it can be. Yeah.
3: So I, I think every monk parakeet colony has kind of a, a mythology, right? Um, because, like, I've <laughs> I've used monk parakeets as an excuse in so many ways. Um, I saw them in Grand Cayman when I was in Chicago. I had to go see them there. I've seen them in New York and New Jersey and. Oh, God. Um, obviously, Florida, Louisiana. Yeah, Basically, all of the the self-sustaining populations in the U.S., I've figured out a way to make an excuse to go see them. Um, it's just interesting because some of them will only nest on the phone poles. Some of them will only nest in palm trees. Hmm. And the, the legend for the Houston area ones is... And I, I will add a little asterisk there. Um, I tracked down the fellow who <laughs> claims to have had them back in the day. Uh, basically the, the nicest yard with the biggest palm trees and the most gigantic nests in that corner of town. Um, it's pretty obvious when there's a random kid standing by your you know, fence with binoculars that <laughs> watching is occurring. So he, he came out to talk to me and um, I guess his wife back in the day and we're talking early eighties mm. uh, did not like how loud the parrots were. So she let them loose. And instead of having, um, I think it was eight breeding pairs. They now have them in surround sound 24, seven, mm-hmm.
2: Boy, that backfired.
3: <laughs> uh-huh. And now the entire county—I <laughs> mean, not literally—they yeah. they spread very slowly and very predictably, which makes me sad. Because when you read up on you know, how they're crop pests and they're doing this, that, and the other, like they're pretty predictable. And for North America, I don't really see them doing much. They're kind of homebodies. Mm-hmm. They spread in super, super predictable ways, um, and their populations. Once they're stable, do occasionally decline, and a bunch of the populations have actually completely blinked out.
1: So, hmm. is there a is there a map for that anywhere that you know of? That would be Ooh, data. A yeah, that would be data. I would be interested <laughs> in seeing.
3: So there's a researcher from Texas A&M who I've intermittently been chatting with since oh god uh, the late '90s. Um, I. I don't know if any of his stuff is online yet, but I know that he and a couple of grad students, um, I would say New Mexico, have been tracking some of the, the feral parrot populations with emphasis on monks. Hmm. Um, but yeah, they're a great gateway bird.
4: Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I would have never thought of a monk parakeet as a spark bird. But now that I think about it, I did sort of... Get into birding even before I thought I got into birding because I saw a monk parakeet while I was uh, training for triathlons back in the day, and I just saw a green flash, and I was like, "What?" Yeah, and then read up about it, and that was definitely the first time that I got into bird lore. So mm.
2: it's weird to see something so like kind of tropically associated, right. especially in the, in the northeast. Northeast, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. We well, don't, and don't. Then there's that whole sadness of like, oh, it's not a Carolina
4: parakeet. Yeah, I didn't know to think that. <laughs> <laughs> I was you, like, you have wow. To get really nerdy before you hit that level. Yeah, yeah. No, I was.
1: No, are are Carolina parakeets like Carolina pigeons? I don't
4: think so. Passenger so. pigeons.
1: Mm-hmm. No. No, it's just a it's a bad foul mouth joke. Oh no. Oh, yeah. Well, no. Just a number of episodes ago, we we did. Uh, Did uh, a bit on Morning Dove's. Morning Dove's original. Colloquially known as, right, the Carolina Pigeon.
4: It was like a misnomer, and Mm. then they changed it. Like most bird names still are. Yeah, Yeah. like most bird names. So so the monk parakeet was your spark bird, and then where did it go from there? Oh, gosh. Um, I don't remember if that
3: was before during or after I kind of went through phases Mm -hmm. um for a while I was all about doves and then all about falconry
4: and all about monk parrots um like fal falconry like you actually did it or no I
3: I just nerd out in really odd ways so falconry manifested as me realizing that Houston is not a place where a kid is going to be able
4: to get into falconry. Um, where is a place where a kid is going to get into falconry? Because
3: <laughs> out in the boonies, yeah. Um... <laughs> Apparently, Michigan, uh, at least Southeast Michigan, has a, a pretty decent falconry group. Um, it's a, at least I've met more falconry associated people here than anywhere else I've lived before.
1: I feel like Uh, medieval England is the best place for falconry.
3: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So funny you should mention that. Um, I ended up switching to a history major uh, in college because um, for one, I had already for funsies in middle school and high school, read tons of um, literature on medieval falconry and how it, influenced society and uh, our language even in modern in modern times um yeah I was that kid somebody had posted about their thesis on one of the interwebs forums and I dropped them a note and I was like hey medieval falconry and literature can I get copies of what now can I read this all for fun um (laughs) so for I don't know the better part of one semester uh, in between classes, I'd be sitting there reading through this like 300-page document <laughs> on how falconry impacted everything—literally everything. Really? So that. several of my papers in college were just like, "What did I read about in high school/slash write about for that one assignment that I was like, I'm going to turn this into falconry, even though it's completely unrelated." Um,
4: yeah, That's pretty um, cool, actually.
2: The only thing I know, ever ever known about falconry, like, or like have read about falconry as all of the crazy shit that goes down on like Facebook groups, whenever somebody like posts a photo of like a wayward, like, uh, Mm. like falconry bird, like somebody's escaped bird or something like that still has its like cuffs on. And then it just ends up on like some inevitable, horrible tangent where people are just Mm. swearing at each other about how falconry is good or bad or, or something yeah. like that, it's insane. Like the time the uh, bald eagle tried to peck uh, Donald Trump's eyes out. Yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly. And, and the world cheered.
4: The great, the greatest eagle. <laughs> the,
1: it's a good eagle. A, a true patriot.
3: So for, for what it's worth, um, I went from you know, one end of the pendulum to the other when it comes to falconry. And now that I work so much with dead birds... I have a completely different appreciation uh, for falconers in general, but also uh, I will put this plug in. Young raptors have a really fucking hard time surviving. Mm. Um, the vast majority of them do not make it to their actual second year. Right. So the fact that falconers are getting young birds um, who don't necessarily know how to hunt super well and they are providing food and free hunting lessons, and they're also, you know, getting dewormed. Some of the parasite loads are absurd. So mm. I mean, it's not quite spa treatment for their first year or however long the falconer has them. Um, but like the Detroit airport, you know, they're going to be trapping and relocating red-tailed hawks anyway. If they catch one that's super emaciated, why not hand it off to a falconer who can fatten it up? Teach it how to hunt, get it deparasitized, and then once it's up to speed, launch it into the wild too, you know. Hmm. Is is
4: that a real big. program that's happening? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. It's uh I would say
3: a little bit different than most airports, because I doubt most airports have hardcore raptor bander slash enthusiasts employed at them. <laughs> uh But it's absolutely fascinating to see the amount of of effort they put into making sure that the birds they trap and relocate away from the runways have the best chance of survival.
1: This is crazy. Like, I don't don't want to make this whole podcast about falconry although it seems like you wouldn't mind Um, (laughs) but i always had this idea that basically falconers were just those guys that showed up at the ren fair you know with uh, some of
4: them have like jobs like um at the
1: ren fair i know
4: i mean i mean mean, like like helping with crops like helping farmers oh
1: yeah 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 right so we saw that yeah i did know that i did know that this is like they're doing that at wineries now too right exactly Mm-hmm. Yeah, keeps Donald Trump away, too. <laughs> um, if only we could surround the White House with, <laughs> with falconers. Um, all right, sorry about that. This isn't a political show. <clears throat>
3: hey,
4: don't like your birds depend
3: on it.
1: Right.
4: Um, well, okay, so I, let's just get right into um, how did you get started as a bird collision expert? uh <laughs> let's just get into it you, you
3: know how as a small child you're aware that birds hit windows yeah. yeah and then your parents get the hawk stickers and put them up but the birds don't stop hitting
1: yeah wait yeah. you're saying those don't work
3: i am saying they do not work
1: ah geez we got to peel At all the stickers off the windows
3: <laughs> i mean you can leave them up but they don't do shit
4: <laughs> we don't have those stickers
1: i'm um, so, I'm disappointed. We also don't have the tot finder stickers. We should probably <laughs> we should probably put some stickers on our windows. <laughs> there are some good
2: stickers. There are good stickers. Wait, so the the hawk the the hawk stickers you're talking about those like red dumb red hawk mm-hmm. stickers that people put in the corners of their windows and stuff. Mm-hmm.
3: They're red. Most of the ones I've seen have been black. Oh,
2: I've only I don't I've
1: seen, I've seen red
4: ones.
2: Yeah, maybe it's just a
1: <laughs> we. Yeah, we maybe do it's think. The northeast but, yeah, it's regional. This region We only do color. red
4: stickers, <laughs> 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 or maybe I'm so, thinking of the red arrows that are on like Japanese windows that show where the, <laughs> the stairway is. <laughs> I don't, know. <laughs> I don't, know I don't I, fucking know.
2: I've just seen. I've, I've seen, seen all stickers. Sorts of stupid stickers on people. I've windows, seen stickers
4: so. on on things that are shapes of hawks. Those don't work. So the yeah the origin I
3: assume of that logic was um, back in the day there was a study done with. Little tiny baby geese to see whether um, fear of predators was, you know, genetic or Uh not. And if you take a raptor shape and you fly it in the direction that a raptor would fly, so uh, wings first and then tail trailing, um, that is shaped like a raptor. And baby geese will, like, cower, freeze, you know, have a... your reaction Hmm. if you fly it the other way so it looks like a goose so the long narrow end is the front end and then the wider wing portion is at the back geese have no fucks to give and they're fine because it is a goose direction the thing is if you take that object and you put it somewhere stationary it is neither going forward nor backwards and you know as you can see with uv leaves um those also don't work um, you can put whatever shape you want. It can be a piano shape. It can be a tree, a toaster, like any shape you put on the glass.
4: A falconer. It,
3: unless you have them super closely spaced, it doesn't matter what shape you use. It's not going to work.
2: Really?
1: Now, now all of us know what UV leaves are. Uh, but, <laughs> but why don't, you, yeah, why don't you explain that one for our audience? <laughs>
3: So, audience, uh, it is largely assumed that UV is the magic bullet to making birds not hit surfaces, um, specifically in this case, glass. The problem is not all birds even see in the UV spectrum. Mm. So uh, there's this really popular product called Window Alert, and I guess it's a maple leaf.
2: Oh, Um, I've seen that. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it's a little vinyl window cling. Um, they say that you have to replace them every six months. <laughs> I, I guess Sustainable. If, you, if you want to spend that kind of money, um, that's up to you. But like, just instead of taking them down and replacing them every six months, just add another set every six months. And then eventually when your window is completely covered, that is when they will be effective. Oh, it's perfect. not actually because of the UV. Would
4: Does UV fade? Like... Is that? Yes. Oh, okay.
3: Yes, that is exactly the logic. So when people are like, "Oh, but there's this UV paint," well, cool. You're gonna have to do a two by two inch grid across your window, like every other week, and after it rains, which is not really, oh. I I think, a particularly useful time for money investment
4: i know nothing about uv turns out
2: so two... and, hey
3: you don't need to you can you can use all kinds of things without ever touching the uv topic yeah so uh, two, by two, two by two
2: is two two inches by two inches is that the magic uh the magic setup for yep windows
3: it is so right now and i i will throw in a disclaimer the american bird conservancy is phenomenal and they all over everything at this point have two by four listed Okay. and that is based on their research from a, a flight tunnel in Pennsylvania. It's really cool. The thing is, uh, they do not test on hummingbirds.
2: Oh,
3: and 20% of the birds that I pick up at low rise buildings are hummingbirds.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: And there have been like the Detroit zoo, um, several other Places with two by four have reported that hummingbirds are still hitting like popcorn. So um, we, (laughs) it's great that you can help some of the larger birds, but if the birds that are being most impacted aren't seeing that benefit, then the least we can do is, you know, work more towards that scale.
4: Like literally they're not seeing it. No, they, so in this case,
3: they probably are seeing it, but they're tiny. So they can buzz between like chain like fences at full speed.
4: Oh, yeah, true.
2: And it's relevant too, because like half of, I, I mean, half the people I know that feed birds are just trying to get hummingbirds in their yard. So I guess it's.
3: So what I would suggest is that they fix their windows for one. Every window should be a fixed window, period. Um, and that can be, so birdsmartglass.org is a really handy link for all of the prevention things. Got it. Um, but the really big emphasis when it comes to feeders is three feet away from the glass or closer.
2: Oh, yeah. What's the why closer? What, what's the,
3: uh, this is a, a homework assignment for you for later and, I am totally not responsible for anything that you do to yourself. Um, <laughs> but if you stand three feet away from a wall and then you run into it, it's going to hurt. But you, for the most part, will not
2: be dead. Okay, I'm going to try that. I don't know. I'll text do you. Want you want to up. do it right <laughs> now, or I could. If you <laughs> no, want to test this, is your homework There's for a... later.
3: I'm assuming you're you're all wired up with headphones.
4: Yeah, and stuff. We're, yeah. There's like okay. Oh,
2: yeah. So the so it's just it's based. The proximity to the wall reduces the injury quotient there. If if they decide to go for the window rather than away from the window, okay. And in most cases, like predators, or like when cardinals are just trying to fucking fight Ugh. the imaginary cardinal in the in the window, stuff like that, it's gonna keep them from knocking themselves out, breaking their own necks, all that stuff.
3: For cardinals and robins and things that attack their reflections, uh, the easiest thing to do is just spray soapy water on the outside of the window mm. and just completely get rid of that reflection, um, at least until the end of breeding season. Um, but yeah, that's that's that weird gray zone where it's not a quote-unquote bird collision. Um, it's just a really unhealthy thing for that cardinal to be engaging in, and we should... And absolutely can help them not do
1: that. So, um, our whole window screens; these are helpful because at least they're not hitting glass. Or,
3: yeah, so screens are great. Um, Okay. They're not perfect, obviously. I mean, I have picked up dead birds in front of screens. Okay. Um, The darker the screen, the better. Hmm. Uh, If you really feel like being crafty. Uh, you can weave yarn every four inches in stripes down the screen for extra visibility, mm. uh, or put Acopian bird savers uh, in front of the screen. Which Acopian bird savers are fantastic. They're a super easy DIY. It's basically nylon paracord hung in front of the window every four inches. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ideally every three, but every four seems to mostly do the trick.
1: So, um, quick question about. So, uh, all right. So we have a, a a building in town that was put up um, on the Yale campus. That's the um, Yale School of Management building, and uh-huh. it's a giant sort of glass cube.
0: Uh-huh. Um,
1: uh-huh. And again, don't know how true this is, but I'm inclined to believe it that you know there's a guy who has to go around this thing, you know, a spring to fall. And essentially collect piles of dead birds every morning. Um, Yeah, I would buy that. But meanwhile, um, we do have screens in our windows, but I've never seen a dead bird outside of our windows. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not getting carried off by cats or I'm just not noticing them. Are there places where it's just this is a more of a problem because of the environment? Are there just, you know, some houses are just going to kill birds and some aren't?
3: So this is going to sound incredibly depressing, but you're talking to me. So congratulations. <laughs> um, literally every glass surface is a problem unless it's not. And the unless it's not is a pretty narrow category of screened, uh, structurally screened. So that's like the the weird wooden slats or something externally. Mm. Um, There are tons of different ways you can make glass birds safe, but unless it's proactively not normal glass, there is a risk. Um, I would say the average home probably not the end of the world, but the average home with feeders suddenly is as bad as the average low-rise non-residential building, which is in the 25 to 30 bird range. Um, that's per year that we know of, and obviously everything will will vary. Like one of my worst buildings locally kills about 100 birds a year that we know of, um, but The tricky part is people want to blame skyscrapers because, you know, that one bank in Galveston killed almost 400 birds in one night. That's pretty dramatic, but that is the exception rather than the rule. So the average skyscraper actually kills about as many birds as the average low rise. It's just they have more media attention, concrete everywhere with people around them, so it's more visible. And when you look at the impact that low rises and houses have, that's the vast majority of buildings in the U S yeah. So by addressing the worst buildings, um, you know, it does a lot, but we need way more momentum. Um, so officially back in the, I guess, eighties, uh, Dr. Dan Clem, determined that half of the birds that hit will die on site. That I'm not entirely sure if that was a feeder study or a a not so feeder related study. Um, But there's at least one study wherein for roughly every 30 birds that are hitting, there will be one body. So a lot of the strikes don't even leave prints and the, you know, we we assume that if there's no body, the bird is fine. If the bird flew away, it's fine. Um, but if you watched a kid get hit by a car, and the kid like gets up and wanders off, like we know that the kid's not fine. Yeah. we would take the kid to a doctor like asap. Um, hospitals exist for a reason. I mean, and... it depends
1: on the kid. Let's be honest.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, the I think right now the struggle is impressing upon people that if a bird hits a window and it's there, you should grab it immediately if it's not dead and get it to a rehabber immediately Um, because rehab has really gotten a lot better in the last couple of decades. Uh, The odds of surviving a collision are way higher when you have supplemental oxygen and like actual medication rather than just being tucked in a dark box and ignored and checked every couple of hours. That's what
2: I was gonna say. We should so so putting them in a shoebox and leaving them on the porch is not the way to go about the best way to go about
3: Yeah, not optimal unless you wanna do that to the kid that got
2: hit by a
1: car too. I'm, <laughs> like, s- I'm sorry, Sean. We're revoking your bird doctor license. No, I have I
2: have a giant Tupperware for oh. every kid I've ever seen that's been hit by okay. a car. I just stuff <laughs> them in a Tupperware and, yeah. and 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 throw water in there. If you every keep once it, if
1: you, you keep burp it, s- it before you close it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 To yeah. keep them
2: fresh. Yeah. You don't even smell them if you keep the lid closed. Oh man.
4: Put some silica packets in there.
2: That's unbelievable. <laughs> every time I see on like the you know the fa- on a Facebook group where there's like, hey, I've the- just found. This this bird it just hit my window and they're like isn't it beautiful and it's just like it's like neck is bent and it's in a it's in a fucking shoebox, and there's like a water dish and like a bunch of, and like a suet cake yeah. like what the hell are you yeah. what do you think you're doing for this fucking bird right now it's chocolate yeah. bar and a marshmallow and
3: what what also gets me is it will be like an oven bird and they put in sunflower seeds and peanuts yeah
2: yeah oh yeah. are
3: they allergic to peanuts <laughs> Basically. <laughs> oh,
1: man. Oh, yeah. People. So
3: it's it's frustrating on a few levels also because like, oh, it landed on me or it didn't fly away when I picked it up. It's my friend. I'm Snow White now.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, just, it's just it's a not
3: normal. Any bird you can pick up unless it is, you know, Birdie Sanders levels of fuzzy mm-hmm. <laughs> to go to rehab immediately. And if it does have the fuzzies, put it back. Find a nest to put it back in. Unless you see blood or bones, then, yeah, take it to rehab. But otherwise, you're probably kidnapping a fledgling. Mm. <laughs> oh,
2: my God. I just, I, 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 I just can't with people. I have a, a real hard time with people all the time on Facebook. It's really hard not to just, like, lay into those people who are, like – I know that you, they're always trying to do their best, but, like, mm. just try fucking harder. Your best sucks. <laughs> like,
4: well, I've, like, I, when – No, I was just saying that when we found the baby wood duck, it was, like, so hard because I didn't... On one hand, I didn't want to post it because, like, I didn't want people to think that we were, like, those people. But at the same time, like... Posting it is how I got into contact with someone on the 4th of July and we saved a duck.
2: Mm-hmm. But yeah. you're making a valid effort to save it. You weren't trying to like keep it and nurse it and all of that. Yeah. You wanted no, to. No, but help I it.
4: really fucking wanted to. Well, I that's because it's really cute. <laughs> oh my God. So, for
3: what it's worth, wood ducks are incredibly high stress, incredibly high maintenance, and like kind of a rehab nightmare <laughs>
4: so. uh we found out very soon because we yeah. were trying to keep keep it alive and then we found out we were doing e- like by the time mm-hmm. it was like evening we found out we were doing everything they don't wrong. like
1: marshmallows at all
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. so
3: basically when you're dealing with people um i i there are times of the year that I will remove myself from every Facebook group or unsubscribe, de-notify every group that I am in because I get
4: too many tags and I, I
3: can't, I absolutely.
4: Know. Oh yeah. They're like they, any dead bird in, in America or wherever. They're like, Hey, Heidi. Trina. Oh, it's, it's not just America. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's bigger than that. Yeah. They know where yeah. I live. Um, but yeah, I there are there are some levels where I can address people with the, oh, congratulations. What can I tell a five-year-old that is understandable and makes sense? Okay, you found the bird, let's do the right thing because like I'm not a bird, I know what I need, but like because I'm not a bird and I'm not psychic, because not all birds eat the same thing. And birds are very high maintenance and also never give food or water to a bird without rehab or instructions. Right. Like birds are so easy to kill. <laughs> um, just figuring out who to contact is the, the first big thing. Yeah. Uh, there is a great app, uh, Animal Help Now. Oh, um, It's, you just put it on your phone, you punch in your location and the kind of wildlife it is that you've found. And it pulls up a list of phone numbers for rehabbers in your area and calling is a great idea because they can talk you through like, oh, you don't actually need to kidnap this baby Mm -hmm. Um, or like, oh, this is a different issue and another rehabber needs to address it. And they're an hour in the other direction. So that saves you a drive.
4: Um, I will. So. I will say just because we have a lot of Connecticut listeners that the um, the DEP DEEP the um, Department of Environmental it's like energy energy and whatever um, and protection in Connecticut does have a, a a simple website that can connect you to um, if what you know if it's a bird you know what kind of bird you know raptor or waterfowl or whatever and then points you to the specific rehabbers that you should, um, bring it to, or, or call. Um, and then for other an- small animals and stuff like that. Um, but I don't think every state has that. So it's good to know that there's a, an app. Yeah.
3: So U S fish and wildlife does have, um, permitted rehabbers listed by state, uh, at least for birds. Oh, the tricky part is <laughs> like Southeast Michigan. Okay. We've got one place that does waterfowl and raptors, and then I'm on the board for the local songbird rehab, and we do have some other folks in the area who will do songbirds, but only babies, right? Nothing adult or injured, um, and so it's it's a bizarre little flowchart of if injured, yes, call that one if adult, call this one, right. if, baby, call that one.
4: Like, yeah. I, I found, I found our, myself navigating that with the wood duck. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, we don't take wood ducks, because wood ducks are really hard, so yeah. even though it says waterfowl, we don't <laughs> do yeah, wood ducks. That. I'm yeah. like, Jesus, fucking this, well, meanwhile this thing is peeping, and I'm like, oh my god, the peeping mm-hmm. is bad. Um, so it's,
1: do- it's vaping in the bathroom, <laughs> and we're just like... <laughs> Oh, it smells like creme brulee. <laughs>
4: it's
1: like, just stop.
4: Um. So do you, you rehab birds as well? I do not. Okay. Um, You're just on the list. Is, this is where... It,
3: no, I'm not on any of the lists. Oh. No, I... Thankfully, now I, I actually live near a rehabber, so when people call, I can be like, here's a phone number, right. hang up and call them. Yeah. Like, they, they are helpful, because... I did a little bit of rehab when I lived in central Texas and in Illinois, but like to be entirely honest and this is where I get in trouble cuz again I love live birds. But dead ones, you can't stress them out, you can't yeah. make anything worse.
4: No. Like no, it was dead. it was incredibly stressful to have um that baby bird overnight. Mm-hmm. And then like there was it was like it was Fourth of july so there's fireworks yeah. and then we knew the yep. fireworks were bad because then it was yep. sc- in like i i didn't sleep at all i was mm-hmm. freaking out and then i was like oh my god what if i wake up and there's a dead bird and then my baby's like oh mm-hmm. look at the birdie's you know not moving and i'm like this is horrible it was horrible like i don't know how rehabbers do it i was yep.
1: yeah i was mostly concerned that it might have rabies and we have to send james <laughs> back with the bird behind the woodshed Shotgun! Oh my god! Like old Yeller. All right. Now listen, not to change the subject, but um, I'm going to change the subject. (laughs) Can you tell me? um, Has anything been done? I did a little bit of research. Thank you. um, uh, Leading up to this, Uh, is there any successful sonic remediation studies that you know about? Um, Because I I didn't really see any, and I'm assuming.
3: Because even if you did find them, they would be bullshit. Okay. So, uh, the analogy that I use for this, and there might be some sonic things that work for, like, roosts. Mm -hmm. um, But if you have a radio playing really shitty music at a busy intersection that doesn't have any stop signs or lights Mm -hmm. or roundabout, any sort of way to speed bumps, slow things down, um, it's... You, you basically just have bad music that no one's going to pay attention to. And then they're still going to crash the cars. Um, birds are kind of the same way. Uh, my local library, after having several meetings, uh, they ended up getting like a $200, like mixtape of distraught crow and angry hawk mm. and terrible sounds. And for the first, I think two or three days that it was, playing the local jays and hawks were losing their minds mm. uh, and then they completely ignored them and vanished but every 10 minutes this thing was going off hmm. and it did not do jack shit so to the body so
1: more what i was thinking of was uh, the sort of you know ultra high frequencies that you hear at the entrance to the mall that keep the teens yeah. from loitering there <laughs> loitering yeah um, no
3: no the thing is even if it's directional that is a, a piece of data that doesn't stand well on its own like if that's a fire alarm um versus a squeaky noise to keep teenagers out of the mall it's a different kind of noise but you still need societal context to understand what that means Got it. um birds well uh, so. they just don't have that for for a, a fixed object to avoid
1: uh i guess that well okay because with the teens it just hurts and they leave mm-hmm. so there's no such thing as um, blasting high frequencies at these birds that they just sort of are annoyed by and they stay away from because they don't hear particularly well directionally is that am i getting that right
3: I don't know if they hear. Well, I'm sure it varies Hmm. uh, in terms of how well which species hear. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, there uh, have not been any successful.
1: This sounds like a commercial product I can work on and release.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Um, uh, If you can make it effective, go for it.
1: I didn't say that. I just said that it's a commercial product that I can release. I can sell to (laughs) people. Just like
2: everything else.
1: Just like everything else out there. Um,
3: well, as long as you don't mind me bashing it on the next podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'll,
1: no, I'll even I'll even, ha- talk about the things I'll even have you on this podcast together. to do it.
4: Um, <clears throat> so um, I, I, I want to make sure we get this question. How many how many dead birds are in your freezer right now? <laughs> oh
3: gosh, right now, right now. Um, a red cross spell and That's a good question. I I did just clean out a whole bunch of stuff to make room for a snowy owl. Oh,
2: jeez. <laughs> oh, <I'm laughs> sorry, I just can't not laugh at that.
4: <clears throat> oh, my
3: God. So the snowy owl has been cleared out, so I'm thinking it's, I think it's just, like, frozen fruit and some dumplings and a red cross building. Do you right have, now.
4: like, a different oh. section for the food versus the birds? Food goes on
3: top, birds go on the bottom shelf. Um, hmm. Yeah, it's, uh... It's a small
4: freezer.
1: <laughs> Keep Keeps the birds colder that way.
4: I want, uh, Yeah, I mean, like, I wondered if you would have your own freezer just for a small little freezer just for birds.
3: So historically, I have. Okay. Um, but, you know, moving to Michigan, I was like, no, why would I ever need a separate <laughs> freezer? <laughs> uh, so I, I moved to Michigan five years ago with zero intent to do anything window related because, like, I'm tired of it. It's exhausting mm. and there are windows everywhere. So, after almost a year in Michigan, I was driving my dog home from the vet. And I was like, you know, I should really just check this library. Um, I still do not have a chest freezer for Michigan because I, I need to have boundaries. Right. <laughs> also, my apartment is way too small for that. Um, but yeah. I-
4: so, do you, so, um, so you do consulting. I was kind of curious, like what a typical. i, I, I It seems like from what your Twitter that there's not a typical consulting job. But what, it, like, if I, if there were to be some, like a, a synopsis of kind of like what you do um, when you consult um, with, uh, a, I guess, an architecture company. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that look like?
3: So. Yeah, I think Twitter's probably a good summary of there is no normal. Right. Um, my uh, my permits are through the University of Michigan, so everyone assumes that I work for U of M, which is not the case. It just means all of the bodies go there.
4: Mm-hmm. Got it. Um,
3: it also means that when U of M has issues with their buildings, because I'm the regional coordinator uh, for the, the safe passage monitoring efforts here, I have to be like five steps removed so that I can actually speak to them in a semi-objective manner. Mm -hmm. Um, and let the, there are only like half a dozen of us that cover, I think we're around 50 buildings ish, give or take. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so there are a lot of projects that I have to be more removed from so that I can consult. Um, and for the cases where I am not asked, but end up with, you know, three different people back channel requesting information, right. um, that gets exciting too, because I'm like, well, I can sort of help, but you can't mention my name, right? Because yeah, it, it makes you very unpopular when people say we don't need you because our building is a quarter of a mile from the nearest wooded park.
4: Right. Um, Yeah. So that gets disappointing,
3: but honestly, most of the people who reach out to me are faculty, students, uh, frustrated employees. And the conversation goes something like, tell them to make this stop. And I have to tell them I can't make anyone do anything. (laughs) However, here's some things that you can bring to the people in charge and feel free to name drop me. Here's a list of things that I can do. Um, everything from pre-construction stuff to, you know, retrofit mitigation things. Um, pre-construction is nice because you actually can work the cost of the bird stuff, um, in a meaningful way into the project. It doesn't have to add expense to the cost of the building because a lot of these products do reduce glare and will reduce the load on the HVAC system. So like it makes sense to, to use these measures. Right. Uh, But if you design the entire thing and then you're like, Oh no, we need to spend you know 10 to 15% more on our glass because of the birds. Like, cool. Well, you wouldn't be spending that extra if you had planned it in the beginning. Right. Um, Right. And yeah, it's, it's really interesting to see the the breadth of, of projects like national parks. I was really not expecting to hear from different national parks. Um, I, th- I think there's this nice big kind of bubble of awareness now that New York actually has a bird safe building guideline, and Chicago is thinking about it. But at least it's in the news. Um, so with all this this awareness gaining traction. Um, I'm yeah I'm just really happy to see so many different entities taking interest um it is really challenging though to figure out the people with the money tend to not care and the people who tend to care the most tend to have the least money right um so it's tricky but I'm really happy with with the groups that I've helped so far yeah, and really bummed with the groups that are like, "No, we don't need you." Right?
2: And <laughs> no, we don't care about the world at all.
3: I mean, it's it's sad, but it's gotten to the point where I can look at a building, and as long as I know where it is geographically, I'm like, "Yeah, that's." Well, also, there's a whole pile of risk assessments that I I can help with. Um, right. But yeah, just looking at a building even from one or two sides, like even if the rest of it is brick, that's probably a uh, 30 to 50 bird per year building. Jesus. Right. And the thing is, everyone assumes that it's stuff like sparrows and pigeons and starlings that are hitting. And it's like 5% combined total for those. Um, like house sparrows, we, we get them. Pigeons on occasion. What is it mostly? So 20-ish percent hummingbirds. Right. uh, 40-ish percent warblers.
1: Oh, Um, God. Another. They're really just the pretty ones.
3: 15 to 20 percent thrushes. Um, I would say only a 7-ish percent batch are like local resident non-migratory things. Really? Hmm. Um, Woodpeckers are a a big chunk. And what's what's interesting about that is everyone's like, windows are only bad in spring and fall. No, that's just when they get the most publicity.
4: Right. For, for both
3: Illinois and Michigan so far, um, summer is just as bad as spring. Uh, obviously in urban areas where you don't have the birds breeding like in the middle of downtown, uh, that's not necessarily going to be as much of an issue. But the the part that really hits home for me and keeps me up at night is during spring migration, those birds that hit are the ones that survived all the way south, almost all the way north. These are the birds that should be making babies, and they just died. Like, in the fall, you know, you have tons of both adults and babies hitting, unfortunately. Um, but young birds, you're like, okay, maybe you wouldn't have survived migration. but the the argument that oh well you know birds are dumb or like birds can't see glass and there's nothing you can do about that um so those spring birds just oh they break my heart
4: um so do you think that you know the new york city legislation um that 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 recently passed will make an impact do you think things like that do help yes yeah
3: and I say yes, largely because it puts pressure on other cities.
4: Right. Do, um, um. Can you? I I actually don't know. too, I just know that it passed, and and that and what it was mm-hmm. hoping to do. But could you maybe I give a little it. bit of synopsis?
2: Yeah, it was super um, highly celebrated. But yeah. I don't think that anybody actually knows what. The, like yeah, most people I mean, don't seem to actually know what. What yeah, a, what happened? So
3: so without me sending y'all an invoice, I can tell you. That. Oh yeah. <laughs> It's it's basically addressing the first, I believe, 65 feet of any building, um, and while it does not exactly address lighting, which is a huge issue in New York, um, it does address the reflections. So basically, the first 65 feet of buildings need to have bird-safe glass.
2: Oh, wow. Is there like a timeline on retrofitting? Like, are they... Are they putting any of that stuff up? Or are people grandfathered in? Like, how are they navigating that? I should probably read an article, but.
3: <laughs> yeah, um, the the original wording, I, I think, is rather interesting. And I do also have a lot of questions. For me, it, it raises more questions than answers, honestly. Um, but I think the the biggest thing for folks to look at when they're like, oh, no, this is daunting. This is scary. What even? How? Um, the Javits Center in New York is a beautiful, beautiful case of a building that everyone thought was just too hard to retrofit. Um, But they ended up retrofitting it anyway. Uh, It was a huge, huge killer of birds. And post retrofit, and I think it's less than, oh gosh, I don't wanna get, quoted wrong on this but um it's a very very small percentage of the glass that's actually covered because it is dots spaced out um but strikes
4: are down 90 percent whoa and the javits center for those that don't know is like just glass it is iconic it is
3: glass it is huge it is bright it is yeah it's totally
4: doable to have a building like that be bird friendly. Yeah, that I that is like um, I that's where I had my graduation from the new school. Oh, wow, so fancy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and just I just just when you th- mentioned it, and I was thinking of them retro- retrofitting. I'm like, oh my god, how do you even? That is millions of dollars. Yeah, millions, but- lots of money. <laughs>
3: It, it helped them with uh, reducing their solar heat gain. Um, wow. Again, like all these things that they were doing anyway, just use a you know,
2: bird-stamped wow. product
4: That's for yeah. that. 90%. And,
2: That's yeah. fucking awesome.
4: That's crazy.
2: People yeah. need to start calling their congressmen and senators and
4: yeah. mayors. And-
3: so another thing that I like about throwing out stats like that is turning off lights can save you... A ton on your energy bill, but also um McCormick Place in Chicago. They turned off
4: their lights at night, cut mortality by 80%. Wow. Shit. You got, well, I got the shivers. Like the Javage Center stat and that yeah. stat, like, actually gave me like chills because. That's huge. Yeah. It's just these, the, thi- like, goddamn people. Mm-hmm.
3: So the FBI building in Washington, D.C. also turned off their lights. I think it was during a spring migration when they got these stats. Um, but they saved over 20% on their electric bill just by turning the lights off. So that reduces your embodied carbon footprint. That reduces your bird strikes. It, it's so good and so easy, and we should be passing dark sky legislation left and right anyway.
2: Mm-hmm. Turn off your fucking well, lights, people. And I was going to say,
1: and, and probably with all that saved um, electrical cost, you could pay to fix your windows. hmm Yeah. Yeah, I'm... the post building
3: in Bonn, Germany, found the exact same thing. Um, they, of course, they have an elevator shaft on either side of the building. It's kind of a weird, like, eyeball shape. Uh, so each end is this kind of red glow of elevator shaft. Hmm. Um, but turning off all of the non-essential lights, they still managed to cut their their strikes by eighty percent. Wow. Um, wow. That's that's true true across the globe so far. That's at least for the nighttime ones. this Excellent. does not address daytime reflections at all. Right.
2: Those percentages like if it's like just done everywhere, like if it's just like people just use fucking logic, they're saving so we, I mean that's insane. That's a huge number. That's fucking out of out out, out outrageous. I don't understand how
3: people I'm,
2: I'm having a hard a time with this. <laughs>
3: Holy going shit. from a 1,000 birds a year to 200 is light switches. Wow.
4: Light. And the, I'm like, going to start
1: turning off our lights at night, Heather.
4: We, do it. We do. Do it. <laughs>
1: that, yeah, I know. That was a joke. <laughs> okay,
4: I'm like, what? Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah.
3: Wow. Like, so,
1: so there are some just really straight ahead, common sense things that we can do. It's going to help every birdie. And wow. combined yeah, <laughs> that's usually snuck, my snuck that one in there. Combined with a sort of new architectural aesthetic, which is like a neo-brutalism where we start building poured concrete buildings without glass at all. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh
3: God, concrete has such a bad carbon footprint.
1: Okay, so once we start building out of hemp buildings out of hemp with no windows at all, and all the spare whatever happens that I was going to make like a, a THC like a <laughs> like, uh, well, uh, vaping and, joke out of that but I'll just I'll stop
4: and and we don't I, I like I feel like we're running out of time and I would we are and I would love to get into it more but also just keep your fucking cats inside
1: and that too.
3: I was a, I was about to uh to drop it before say I circled back to that I was gonna say the construction thing is really an interesting point because lead certified buildings, you know, they're supposed to be all green and fancy. Um, because a lot of them use so much more glass than traditional buildings, they actually end up being way worse. Hmm. Whereas high performance buildings, or I guess some people are still calling them net zero buildings. Um, those tend to be a lot more bird safe because they use structural shades in front of the glass. Uh. Um, so there, yeah, there, there are a lot of things architecturally, um, that are already being done that are bird safe. Just, they're not looking at it from that perspective. And then they're stamping a bunch of things, greens that are absolutely abhorrent. Um, but the, the cat thing I was gonna say, uh, if every dead bird was a dead kitten, people would be losing their shit. That's yeah, true. Like, Absolutely. You're going to work, you're walking in, and you're passing five dead kittens on the sidewalk. Like, that—that that is not okay in anybody's book. Oh. But somehow, because it's birds, they don't make the connection that, like, oh, shit, this is an actual problem.
4: Yeah, speciesism is a whole mm-hmm. other topic.
1: That's a deep topic. <laughs> oh. I hear you, Heidi. We're gonna start distributing dead kittens right away. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna get this problem solved.
4: One 100%. dead kitten at a time.
2: One dead kitten at a time. For, so for every dead bird you see now on the sidewalk that yeah. nobody's paying attention to, you're gonna drop a dead. Just kitten put little ears, right ears on it. To it. Just right next to, to it.
4: like you know, like they're doing in Vegas. Someone, some asshat, and. Vegas oh, is putting that oh, hats. hats on hats But just put yeah. little little kitten ears on dead birds, and there we go. Yep. Dude, little kitten face stickers Yeah,
3: with yeah. The, the eyes X'd out. Just stick a sticker on every dead bird face. Yeah.
2: Hmm. Mm. Face the mortality, people. I mean, we don't, yeah, like we said, we're probably running out of time, but do you, can you just, <laughs> will you just drop a cat bomb on everybody really fast just to stir up Do you have, the
3: have a fast cat bomb? Yeah. <laughs> uh 10 vac rather than tnr that's so nobody knows what 10 vac is because all of the websites for it suck <laughs> uh but trap evaluate neuter adopt cont- wait hang on there's a vaccinate in there yeah. somewhere 10 vac uh vaccinate adopt contain there we go um
4: oh man i thought it was gonna be like ending in a k and it'd be like kill <laughs> <laughs>
3: no no contain Contain. um seattle audubon does this amazing thing i missed it in july last year um it's a catio home tour so instead of like the garden tour it's a catio tour and if every town had a catio tour then maybe we wouldn't have this god-awful outside cat problem that we have
4: what's a catio tour what
3: so instead of doing like a garden tour with your community um or like the Christmas light tour. Yeah. Uh, Seattle Audubon found people who had catio's, or like little window boxes built for their cats.
1: In indoor uh, cat um out, environment. Outdoor cat. Oh, outdoor. Yeah, yeah. An outdoor if you, an outdoor enclosure. Yes. Like surrounded by screen or something like that, that their cat yep. can lounge around in, feel like mm-hmm. it's outside, feel the freedom of the wind in its mm-hmm. fur. Exactly. Okay.
3: And it it gets to have all the luxury of, you know, sniffing fresh air mm-hmm. without getting hit by a car. Oh, they're or... like chicken coops.
1: <laughs> well,
3: exactly. Actually some people have uh turned chicken coops
4: into catios Yeah, that's how do what... the
1: chickens feel about it?
4: <laughs> <laughs> now that's another question. There's like they, they're outside with little cardboard yeah. signs. <laughs> that's... At the end of the day, I just feel like with
1: every (laughs) passing month, the number, the percentage of my jokes that are dad jokes, just goes up exponentially.
4: Exponential.
2: Oh my god.
4: Uh. Well, I'm I'm glad that I was able to Google catio. That's that's worthwhile. Google, um, everyone. Yeah. Holy shit.
2: I just I I'm just gonna tell people to keep their fucking cats inside.
3: That well, the other thing is, people need to step up their enrichment games. And having worked at zoos, like I know it is hard to get proper enrichment and stimulation and socialization for critters. Um, and if that's not your jam, then maybe don't have cats. Yeah, like, for real. Either up your enrichment game, um, and just line your walls with you know little cat ladders and cardboard boxes and probably have a disco ball with a flashlight pointing at it at all times <laughs> um, like <laughs> yeah we we need to up our enrichment game or just understand that if we can't meet their needs then maybe we should just have our cat time either volunteering at the shelter or hanging out at a cat cafe but maybe not yeah. having them at home if we can't keep them safe
2: and we're there's some new hope with the outdoor cat issue too. Like I think, like Denver. There's other cities that are imposing like mm-hmm. um, dog laws on cats. Yes. Like they yeah. have to be on a leash mm-hmm. or indoors. Yep. Which we
4: right. fucking need because yeah. our neighbors yep. leave their cats mm-hmm. outside in fucking yeah. snowstorms, freezing,
1: yeah. yeah. freezing and freezing
4: yeah.
3: rain. And then nobody thinks it's an issue because they're like, oh, it's a cat. It's outside. This right. is fine. Yeah. Whereas if anybody saw a dog in those conditions, they'd be freaking out and trying to find the owner. Oh, yeah. yeah.
4: Yeah. And I almost – I saw one of those – I was telling Scott um, earlier today, one of those cats almost got ran over because a dog mm-hmm. barked that was yep. on a leash properly. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the cat yep. got scared and then almost got run over. And okay. they never – the owners – well, the people taking care of the cat never see – this happening yeah. because they're not around
2: they're not around they're not, right. yep. they're not owning the cat <laughs> and yeah, yeah. yeah
4: they're not really owning the cat um okay babysitter is running out of time um and <laughs> this has been we have just taken up all of your afternoon and we are so grateful we're,
1: we're sorry not sorry um, thank you so much for sticking it out with us um, well
3: thank you for braving the technology oh, um, man. i'm happy to be here and You know, honestly, I consider uh, any of my presentations a success if I don't throw up, pass out, or drop too many F-bombs. So it was nice to be able to, like, actually drop (laughs) them.
1: Yeah. Man. Well, (laughs) Well, I mean, this is a place where all of
2: those uh, F-bombs would not. Yeah, you can drop as many as you like. But before you go, I can't. I'm never going to stop. I have one question. I have to ask you if you believe in ivory-billed woodpeckers. You can say whatever the hell you want, but I'm asking everybody, so.
3: Well, my answer for that is probably another entire podcast. Uh, I'm going to go with they were a beautiful, beautiful thing while they lasted. And humans really do not deserve this planet. <clears throat> so. That's
2: a good one. That's fair. That's good. I like it. It's perfect. Fuck, fuck people. <laughs> Stop killing yeah, things. I've, I've
1: always said that people are, are what's wrong with this place.
4: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Good thing we and made it, another one.
1: Well, he's, we're going to raise him, right? (laughs) He's, he's already, he's already memorized at least five bird species at 18 months. So he's going to be okay.
3: The ivory bill question actually hits a little weird because, um, growing up, my dad gave me so much shit about that because he was a wee tot in the backwoods of Louisiana and he would swear up one side and down the other, like you you had to get in the deep woods for a little bit, you know, they were there like don't even. But was it an osprey or
1: (laughs) monk monk parakeet? Oh, man. Uh,
3: Actually, he, he did swear up one side and down the other, too, that monk parakeets have been in New Orleans since the late 60s, which makes sense for the very earliest import dates for that. Um, but again, yeah, my dad was super old school uh, for anyone of my age. Um, but I mean, it's it's theoretically, hypothetically plausible that in the early to I guess mid to late thirties um, in the backwoods of Louisiana, it would have been plausible.
4: Oh, Damn your dad's <laughs> older than my dad. Whoa! Again, he's he's dead now,
3: but yeah. he was born in 1930. So, okay. like, yeah. When he was a we-tot, that was pre-World War II, and yeah. that was before the singer tract completely got destroyed. So, mm. yeah, yeah. Pause.
1: So you're saying there's a chance? <laughs> there you go, Sean. <laughs> Just his eyes lit up. It's a big smile. It's like a good like boy on Christmas morning. Yep.
2: I want to. I want to see oh. a ivory-billed woodpecker and a and a ghost orchid. Both of these <laughs> things that exist in weird places and swamps. <laughs> so. Or not, yeah.
3: Honest, honestly, if they do exist, I don't want to see them because they need to see less humans, yeah. yeah. No, yeah, it's they true.
2: Yeah, ecological point, too. So, so. Yeah. well, Heidi, thank you, thank you, so, much. you so much for much the shit out of us and telling people where they can shove their cats. <laughs> Windowless hemp buildings, the building of the future. <laughs> thanks,
1: Heidi. Thank you,
4: Heidi. Take care, y'all. Mm-hmm
1: hope you enjoyed today's episode. Again, a big thanks to Heidi for hanging out with us and putting up with all that malarkey. Uh, we really appreciate it. And um, to all of our listeners, you can show Heidi that you appreciate it too um, by hitting up her Patreon at Just Save Birds and throw a little cash her way. And that will help uh, make her work with Safe Passage at least semi-sustainable. Uh, you can also follow her at Twitter at justsavebirds on Instagram, uh, where she says she's been heavily slacking, but hey, who are we to talk? Uh Instagram.com forward slash just save birds or just save birds in your app. Um, she has two Facebook groups. One is just save birds. no surprise there. Uh, but surprise, another one, Dead Birds for Science. And that's at facebook.com forward slash groups, forward slash dead birds. I don't know how Facebook works, so I don't know if those forward slashes are really necessary. Uh, But hey, social media and things, do them. Thanks for listening.